Hi, I'm Dubba. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. Now, I first came across the name Kirsty Almeida about eight or nine years back. She'd recorded this great song called Spider, and there was a really lovely Mr. Scruff reworking called Pickled Spider. And since I tend to follow what Mr. Scruff puts out, she popped up on my radar. Now, she was signed to Decca Records at the time and was known for bringing together this quirky mix of pop, jazz, world music and folk. And she put out a few albums and singles. And then for a long time, I didn't hear her name so much. But earlier this year at an unconvention event in Manchester, I met Kirsty and we got talking about all sorts of things. She's done so much in those intervening years, personally, privately, professionally, creatively, and as she puts it, spiritually. It was a fascinating and a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about the more traditional music technologies of wood and string, about the environment, about being a citizen of the world, about making music for films, about the responsibilities of parenthood, about the virtual reality that Kirsty says that we're all living in right now, about rewriting the whole education system, about how to make the world a better place, and about magic. Here's Scottish Gibraltarian world folk singer-songwriter and lifelong musician, Kirsty Almeida. So, Kirsty Almeida, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Thank you for asking me. Where did you grow up? Everywhere. Uh, Scotland, Venezuela, Gibraltar, Spain, um, Indiana, Chicago, uh, where else? Many Philippines. Brunei, everywhere. Wow, what sort of impact did that have on, on what you ended up doing? Well, it definitely brought a lot of world music to my sound. So I love world music, I love world folk, I love um, I love music from everywhere. Do you know I, mean? I love indigenous sounds and I love tribal sounds, I love um, Brazilian music and South American music and you know the, just the music of the people wherever those people are mm-hmm. that's when I love that so I think that definitely had a big impact on on the music that I write and and how long did that go on for this, this sort of moving around a lot is it it's gone into your adult still life going. yeah yeah it's still going so I um I only just recently so I'm 43 now and I, I only just recently chose a place to root and that's because I have a child now so so I moved to Hefton Bridge, and um, but even then, like you know, that there's this part of me that's just like, come on, when are we going to get on the road again? You know, like it's like being at home is out of a suitcase. You know, it's really easy for me to uh, to to jump into a suitcase and fly. Right. Go. So uh, the the idea that you would become a musician, how did that come about? Uh, so I was just always a musician. So I've, there was no becoming. It was um, I just was, and and. Um, I think there was just a lot of fight to, to keep that. So because my father had been through something like that, like he was nearly signed to EMI when he was a kid. And okay. and uh, he, he'd he done the whole, you know, not without my band. And they didn't want the band. And I think that potentially hurt him or, or something. I, I don't, I need to ask him those stories. But uh, so it became this thing that I should be a lawyer. Do you know I mean, and the family wanted me to be a lawyer. And so there was a lot of me kind of neglecting my music or neglecting that part of me that... Um, that was just so inherent and so natural and so it was still there like I remember you know every school that I went to would be like right now you play the piano because we need to just bump up the figures of the amount of people who are doing the lessons or else we'll lose the money so I was always the person who was like doing grade two flute for no reason and recorder and playing a double bass and you know just doing all of those things so I never really became a musician Um, it, it just was a way of life so what's your instrument 
So now, I, it's a voice, definitely, so I sing. Um, but now I play, so I play 1800s and 1900s parlor guitars. Okay. Um, specifically because bigger guitars hurt me. Uh, they just hurt my back to play. Oh, everything I play is very cyclic and repetitive. And um, yeah, just small guitars seem to work. And someone one day just suggested... You know, have you thought about playing a smaller guitar? And then this little parlor guitar arrived in my world uh, from the 1800s and I fell in love with it and and then just discovered that really old instruments have a magic to them that's it's like they have their own story. So every time I pick up a really old instrument, I feel like they just want to write. I mean, like there's, there's just epic amounts of songs in them already and I don't have to do anything. I've just got to channel whatever that is. Tell me about the, the, the sort of the physicality of that because obviously you pick something up, obviously it has a smell or it has a feel yeah. to it or is that something that kind of inspires the music in you? I mean, you say that the, the songs and, and the instrument but clearly the songs in you as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it... Um, the out-of-timeness is really beautiful. I mean, like, magic is very important to me. And just the meaning of magic, like what is magic? And there's something very magical that seems to happen when I pick up a really old guitar that, that in me unlocks a, a timelessness. Right. Where I'm just like, this guitar, you know, people made this in the 1800s and they made it with love. And and uh, these pieces that I'm touching have been touched for you know, hundreds of years. And uh, who touched them? And I mean, that kind of... So sitting with that and also just the sound of it. So there's something very beautiful about uh, a parlor guitar sound. It just sounds like a harp. So something in there just unlocks something magical in me. And, and, then, and then I get into, I definitely get into a zone. And then the zone, out of that zone, sometimes it, it might take a couple of weeks to get into the zone. And then a song will fly out in as long as it takes to, to sing the song. The whole thing will just come. Wow. Words, melody, lyrics, the lot. Do you think it's possible to sort of embed that magic within new things that we make now that, that future generations will be able to use? Or do you think that, that there's something particular about our past which is uh, special and magical? I think uh, magic is alignment. I think magic can, uh, it can come from many things, but essentially it's when we become a channel for creation and creation comes from creativity or creativity comes from creation and creation is is us, we are creation. We're, it's all around, like if this is a virtual reality, which I'm absolutely certain it is, then, um, then you know, sitting and being very present with something. So my love for a parlor guitar and it, you know, makes me very present with that instrument. Right. But for someone else, that presence can come from, you know, a four-track recorder or it could come from a, an iPhone, you know, just being very present. And then that... Uh, kind of channels creativity and creation. What do you mean when you say that we're in a virtual reality? <laughs> and I, I have to kind of explore that because obviously yeah. uh, in our sort of music tech community, there's a lot of exploration into, you know, what can we do with virtual reality? How can virtual reality be used for music making or music consumption or those sorts of things? You yeah. go, no, 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 we're already in it. No, we're in it. Yeah, this is it. How we're does that work? So I wake up every day next to my child. You don't wake up next to you know, my child, you work out, you wake up in your world, I wake up in mine, um, where, like, the things that I'm touching, the energy, the, you know, the feel of everything is, it's energy, everything, you are energy, this is energy, this microphone is energy, um, that energetic value, like, what that is, that cellular structure of what that is, is a virtual reality, like, it is, um, 
It's like a very futuristic form of some of the greatest computer games that now we're blown away by. So I feel like at some point this was already created, but we've been kept in the uh, we've been kept in the belief system that um, that we are not the navigators of our virtual reality. That 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 this is a reality that that um, that we have to be reactive to, not proactive within. Right, and I guess that sort of uh, potentially gives you some agency in the world. You go, no, I can make my decisions. Yeah, I can make my decisions. About how. Yeah. Tell me about some of those decisions, because you've made some really, particularly from the point of view of somebody who gets signed to a major record label, releases albums, you know, uh, become essentially a pop star. Yeah. Um, you made some quite interesting decisions as, in response to that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I remember when, um, remember years ago, so I, I've always been a big believer in how we can manipulate our own reality and we can manipulate our reality with our minds. So we've now become 5D creatures. So at one point we were 3D, we were locked within the 3D grid. The 3D grid is a, a fear-based grid where we're, we're led to believe that uh, that we can't create with our own minds. Um, but I think from a very young age, I realized that that wasn't quite... That, that wasn't quite it. And I was really interested in how to manipulate my own reality via my mind and, and thinking, well, if I believe I can or I believe I can't, then I'm right. And um, the only thing that's stopping me is my own blocks. Uh, those blocks are created through via trauma. Um, our trauma blocks are the only things that stop us from moving ahead. And our trauma blocks are the only things that keep us in a perpetual cycle of uh, repetition and that repetition is always going to keep repeating itself until we look at the trauma that is holding us in that lock. And as soon as we release that trauma, we then move into a new, uh, a new upgrade of the system of the virtual reality that we're living in. Mm-hmm. So that's been really clear to me. And, and years ago, I remember just thinking as, as a kind of experiment, I would play with that and see what would happen. So I moved myself, I moved myself into this summer house uh, of a friend's house. Um, took a guitar, shut down all the work that I was doing at the time, wasn't feeling really self-satisfied with any of that and just thought there's got to be more and had this burning desire to write an album and I'd never written an album before. So I was like, right, I'm going to go and write an album. And I I realised at the time that I had the... I had the beauty of youth on my side and thought, you know, if, if I waste some time right now, it doesn't really matter. Like, what, does, what does that matter? I've got loads of it. Um, so I moved into this into this place. But what I did was I wrote every day, but I also affirmed every day. And I had this, I didn't realise quite what I was doing at the time, but I had a little poster that I wrote on the wall. Uh, it said, I am financially, creatively and spiritually rich. And I've been signed to a major label. And uh, you weren't saying those things because they were true, but because you wanted them to be true. No, I, w- I was. So they weren't true. I was doing it as an experiment because I didn't care. Do you okay. know what I mean? So I didn't care about whether I was signed to a major record label a lot or not. Lots of my friends, because I went to, I studied pop music at university. So lots of my friends, that was their wish, but I didn't have that as a wish. So so I knew that I wasn't. I wasn't emotionally attached to it. So it was like, so if this happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, then great, it doesn't really matter. Right. So I, so I said that every day. So I said it when I woke up and before I went to bed and just used that as an experiment. And then within three months, I was signed to a major label. And I, I was in Sheffield. Like I didn't even have friends in London in the industry. I had nothing. I'd won a really small award that had given me a thousand pounds for being an up and coming jazz composer uh, that I hadn't applied for. And right. amazingly that 
somebody had nominated me for it, and then that gave me the luxury of this thousand pounds to move into this summer house. Right. Presumably, you did some other things other than just sort of read what was written on the piece of paper in the morning and in the evening. You did so some no, work. So the action that. is really important. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, so even in that world of manifestations, which now you know science is starting to back up. Like I can't give you any of the backup, but I work with people who are like, oh my god, it's all backed up, and you know this and that and the other, and the Greg Bradens, and you know there's all these amazing biologists who are backing that up. But inherently, for me, I knew that if I changed my mindset and then I created action in that direction that energetically something had to change right so yes it was amazing to see how that worked and but of course being you know beings who are in trauma and we are in trauma our our parents create that that happens as soon as we're born um that doesn't mean that you can remember how to do that all the time you know because then you still have your emotional journey so I did that then and then so many other things would be coming up that I couldn't just go I've won the Mercury Awards, yeah. do I mean, or whatever it was, because there was a lot of self-worth issues that then came out of that. But yeah, interesting. So I've done that a lot, just affirming things. I was going to say, did you, did you wish you'd written something else on the paper? <laughs> no, no, because that was, it was a really exciting uh, way for things to, to happen. It was right. really exciting. And it was like that album birthed so quickly. So that album came out of me within less than two months. Do I mean, so I wrote a whole album in less than two months, I'd never written an album before. Then that was signed to Decca, that album. And then they were, you know, like, come on, we're going to record this in two weeks. I mean, so it was a really fast process. Right. And then that put me onto, you know, stages where I was singing to like, you know, thousands of people, um, collaboratively with other people. And so it was, a, yeah, really exciting time. But I hadn't realized that I had a lot of work to do. I mean, just emotionally to be able to, 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 be able to feel any joy from that. You know, the journey was hard. And what was that journey like, being signed to a, a major record label? What was the expectation on you and, and how did you kind of respond to that? Um, I found it really hard because I felt like I had to control something. I felt like I had to manage it and uh, I had a great manager. I had an amazing manager actually and we were really tight, like we really worked together and he was a great manifesto too, he was a real positive power of positivity. Um, and it was really interesting because we did the first part really amazingly well. Do you know what I mean? And like we really played played the game. It was it was a game um, where I played the artist really well. He played the manager really well. Right. Um, but what happened was we were then out of our depth and we were in a sea that we didn't expect. It was very difficult. Um, and that difficulty mainly lay around expectation and and. Yeah, navigating the industry and the industry was trying to navigate itself and everyone that, everyone within the industry was really worried about their own jobs. So that level of pressure mm. meant that they were putting pressure on the artists like we were horses in a horse race. Right, so were the expectations, your expectations of the industry or the industry's expectations of you? Both. So, so like, for example, you know, when I got signed, I said, it's really important to me that I have creative autonomy. It's really important that I get to call the creative shots. And if I can't do that, then I don't want to sign. You know, I'd rather not sign. And they agreed that. And that was in my contract. And that right. was all discussed. But then as soon as I was signed, I think um, there was a lot of silences where I'd be like, why is everyone, what's going on? And I could just, you know, like, like people whispering. And, and then it'd be like, oh, well, we've organized a photo shoot for you. And we've already come up with the whole themes. And, you know, there's five themes. And we're just basically just going to make you look mad because we're going to try and sell you to 13-year-olds. With me, going, my lyrics aren't even for 13-year-olds. They're not going to get it. Right. You know, it's like, what, what are you doing? And, you know, having people who were like, whose um, you know, past job was maybe marketing and shoes and having them make choices about the cover of my album. And me, so my expectation was that maybe the creative in music industry 
was going to be a place where it was filled with creatives who knew what they were doing and then getting there and being like shit this is sales I mean I I've, I'm just I'm a pawn in a sale industry mm. and I found that really difficult maybe you know maybe it would have been different if I could have surrendered to that and just gone great yeah whatever you know put my covers out however you want and do the artwork any way you want I didn't do that you know I kind of fought it instead like I want to be creative within this and that wasn't great that yeah I think there was a lot of uh, fist thumping on tables from executives who were calling me a really difficult artist and then there was a lot of people in the independent scene saying you're not being a difficult artist you're being an artist and you're not rolling over right so really hard yeah so how, how I mean you, you say now maybe it would have been easier if I just sort of played along yeah was that ever an option are you the kind of person that could actually have done that? Yeah, I think I, I don't think that that was the issue. I think the issue was that I was in trauma. I mean, there was a lot of issues in my past. There was a lot of issues with me. There was a lot of issues with self-worth. I was drinking. Decca and that whole situation really encouraged drinks. So, so I'd just be like turning up to videos and being like, God, I'm really hungover. You know, like they'd organized something the night before. And, it'd be, and I really felt like I was being manipulated slightly. There was a lot of champagne and there was a lot of this. And you were kind of expected to be part of that thing. But then halfway through in my kind of slight drunkenness, I'd be like, oh, you were just trying to convince me to say yes to the photo shoot through that. I mean, and, and that became a really big thing of me uh, just not knowing which way I could go or, or things like the environment was always really important to me. I've always been someone who really cares about our earth and cares about the environment. And they'd be sending like a car to come and pick me up to take me from Manchester down to hairdressers in Shoreditch so that they could potentially say she goes to hairdressers in Shoreditch and that didn't work with me you know right. it's that thing of like no this isn't important to me like things that are really important to me is what I want to be about so there was a real thing inside me that couldn't you know go with the flow but I know that now having had many years of therapy potentially I'd navigate that very differently not necessarily surrendering to any of the things that I'd you know I still wouldn't have taken the photos on the bed <laughs> you know, there's okay, like, yeah, yeah, I remember that was the first photo shoot. They were like, we're going to dye your hair red and we want to shoot you on a bed where you're just lying in some really nice negligee and that's your shot. And I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a singer. I'm not a porn actress. Like, I, I want to be a role model for our future children. Like, I, you know, I want to be someone that I can, when I have kids one day, God, that's what I stand for. That's who I am. Right, because that was going to be my next question. Is, yeah. Was this actually an artist thing or was this a gender thing? Um, really hard to say. I don't know, but but I know that uh, the gender thing is a big thing. Like I remember going on a stage, I think I opened for the jazz festival in London and this really beautiful thing called The Voices and there were some great singers in there and they'd sent a stylist who didn't get me. I, I didn't get myself. I didn't know really who I was yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and having to go on stage in some dress that I felt so uncomfortable in, I knew I didn't look good in, but then having the head of De- Decca at the time, or someone, I, I don't know if it was the head of Decca, but someone in Decca had just sent a memo back saying, make sure she doesn't wear another dress that's shorter than the knees, she doesn't have good legs. But that came back to me. Do you right. mean? And, and, that, and, and that became this big thing do you mean, for me of like, who am I? I mean, what am I in? And what am I fighting here? You know, in this day and age, or that was ten years ago. Ten years ago, it was still like, really? Are we? Are we? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Do you think it's improved at all? Hard to say because I'm not in that industry. Right. I mean, and also, I'd, I've not had a TV since 2004, so I, I've really disconnected from 
the world, you know, as we know, and I, I very much live in my own bubble of nature. But your your bubble includes doing other things, though. I mean, you, yeah. your creative expression comes through in all sorts of ways. Yeah. You've you've been a venue owner. You mm-hmm. you know, so th- there are different things that you do that connect you to the world. Um, yeah. And is this just about you being an artistic person that needs to find a, a sort of expression, or you know, where where does that come from, and and how do you describe what it is you do? So now I describe myself as just someone who's creative, who has to create, yeah. and, and uh, a conscious creator. I'm really interested in the conscious world. I'm really interested in how we can... Um, I'm really interested in building the new world whilst the old world isn't working for everyone. Do you know I mean, so as everyone's going, oh my God, oh no, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Yep. Do you know I mean, whilst they're doing that, I'm trying to build a school you know, and, and figuring out, like, uh, with education, how do we get the right people into the room to say, let's build the new education instead of just going, this isn't working, how do we patch it up with what we've got? Right. Just rip it apart, you know, or let's just move totally into a new realm and just go, what would an amazing education system for kids really look like? How do we bring the best people in the world who want to create that into the right space? And how, how do we not be fearful of, you know, the, the systems as they are now and the governments and everything else? Like, how do we just disengage and just go, well, we're going to do it? Still jump all the hoops, but how do we just make the new world? I'm really interested in that. So, and, and what are the answers to that? Do you have any of them? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the answers are in community. I think the answers definitely lie in working together towards the greater good and making the effort to do that. Mm-hmm. And for each of us to become the best person that we can become individually, to stop being a victim. I mean, like the answer is definitely in the drama triangle, the perpetrator, the rescuer and the victim. And our society has become so victim, what's that word, like victimized in our own mentality that until we step out of that victim, um, yeah, that's the answer. You'd step out of the victim. That thing of what could you do on your street that's going to benefit the greater good for the hell of just benefiting the greater good, not because you're going to get this out of it, that one. You know, like, just just make it better. Like, just do something in your own life that will make our world a better place and make that your mission. And, you know, some of us, like, I'm, I'm able to manifest big projects. You know I mean, I'm able to work within teams where I'm able to potentially navigate some of that. Someone else could maybe just make the bins in their area much nicer. I mean, someone else could, I don't know, plant some more trees or just not being apathetic. It's letting go of the apathy. And Are you optimistic about that or are you fighting yeah. an uphill battle? No, I'm totally optimistic about that because, because I know that I think I kind of cut the bullshit. I mean, like, so even in my own community, like, I know that my responsibility is to clear my own trauma because I know that the answer is within that. Like, I, I, I know it. I teach it. I I see people who are working within it. I see the changes within people when they go, uh, you know, I'm like, um, I don't know, I'm a person, my parents got divorced. I'm totally over that. It's, it's completely fine. Like, I'm fine. I just make sure that, you know, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I go to the pub and I'm numbing myself. You know, you can kind of see it. So it's that thing of when we take responsibility for the trauma that's within us, and that might be through therapy, it might be through trauma release, it might be through a breath work session. It doesn't really matter, but it's that thing of where am I hurting? As soon as we deal with our own fear and our own pain, then as a society, we are raising our standards, we are raising our vibrations, you know, we're raising the energy that we're coming from, and, uh, and that's what it's about. So I have total optimistic view in that um, because I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing that people have got to a place where they can't deal with it anymore. Like People have had enough. 
So the answer to that is to become the greatest version of ourselves individually that we can become. And then by doing that, we're going to create a better society. And then the other answer is some people want to go and fix what's already there. Do you know what I mean? And some people will look to people like Russell Brand and go, oh, my God, he told everyone not to vote. But essentially, all he was saying at the time was, we're just voting for the same thing. You know, so, and, and we're led to believe this is really controversial, but we're led to believe that we don't have any other choices. I mean, but potentially our choice is to start creating the new world and figure out how we're going to do that and stand up and be counted. You talk about being the best person you can yeah. possibly be, okay. and you said that you've always been a musician. What is the best musician that you can be? Are you, are you going to make more music, release more music, or is that a part of you that is a private part and now not a public part? No, it's definitely a public part still. Um, I, so I've got a new album now that I'm releasing in June. It's just been mixed uh, and it goes to mastering on Monday. Um, it's an album that I created uh, just before I got pregnant and then just after uh, The Wanderin'. So it has like a four-year break in the middle of it where I went... Right, The Wanderin' being thing. your venue. Yeah, the venue yeah. that I created. Yeah. Um, and also during that time I had PTSD and, uh, and I had postnatal depression and... Uh, all of that just brought up what I needed to fix anyway. So I've, so there's been a really big, I mean, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of work and then a lot of plant medicines and, and going in through other areas to to get better or to get as well as I could. Um, and what's, what's what that has flagged up is that I just love singing. Like, I, I love it more than... There isn't anywhere in the world in my life that touches that place or that I feel as alive I mean, when I'm singing, I'm alive. Like right. Really, like every part of me is alive. And that's so the goal, I guess. That's the goal, just right. to feel as alive as I can whilst I'm alive. <laughs> and presumably not through a major record label this time. I don't, I don't even know. Like, I, you know, I don't. I never say never because because I have no idea. I mean, like whatever the future holds is the future. And, and potentially uh, for me to be working with a major label with the mindset that I have now potentially would create a new way. I mean, potentially there would be, you know, a lovely way through that. I, I recognise that major labels and independent le- labels do a great job. I mean, they do a very hard job, and I know how hard that job is. That's a really interesting comment for somebody who's had your experience and the fact that you've walked away from it to actually look at it and, and say, you guys know what you're doing. I didn't say they know what they're doing. Okay. I said that they do a very good job. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so how they, are those things but, different? But, but the issue is that... The guidance within within that is very difficult. Uh-huh. I mean, so the issue is that they're still doing that thing of we don't know what we're doing, but we're just going to keep doing it, and they have all the money. I mean, or they don't have all the money, but for a while they had all the money. Yeah. So it's that thing of a lot of people doing things just because they can do it, and because they have to have their jobs, and they've got you know, and they had monopoly for a while. The public, sorry, the public part of this is is the point of releasing it to get it to as many ears as possible, or to find your tribe, or just to kind of get it out into the world in some way. Uh, well, various different things. Like um, I know that when I put an album out and it goes to a lot of people, that brings back lots of amazing opportunities. You know, like I, I love making music for films. That's one of my favorite things, and. Um, from putting out the album with Decca, I got to write the music for a couple of films. And again, that's where I felt really alive. So I recognise that my songs are a vehicle. They're like fishing wires. Don't mean where I like, throw my songs out into the world and they have their own life. They're just going to go on their journey and, and, then come, and then from that, opportunities come back, like playing at festivals, going to Slovenia. Um, and those things that happen, that's where life happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bits I didn't plan. And... 
when life happens, that's when I feel really alive. So, so putting the songs out into the world in the best way that I can, hopefully, will bring back lots of opportunities for me to feel alive again, where I get to go on stages. <laughs> Are you interested in the, the kind of the technological advances in the recording medium? For instance, you talked about you know this being a virtual reality. Are you interested in actually doing something in you know virtual reality as we understand it, or doing something with AI, or doing something with you know the, the new technologies as new forms of energy or new ways of, of moving into the, the sort of this new world? Or do you think that the the new world that you're sort of imagining is very much a sort of back to the 18th century uh, <laughs> guitars? Uh, my thing's about frequency, so I'd, I love frequencies. Like I love working with um, actual vibration. So I love uh, acoustic instruments. I'd love to work with an orchestra. I mean, so digital is, for me, is a format, but that hasn't, like, I haven't, um, I haven't explored that. I was thinking about that, about Graham Massey before. I was thinking about the potential of, you know, does music still have the same energetic field value? Like, does it still touch us in the same way? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're working with beats and, and you know, the, and uh, digital sounds as a string quartet or an orchestra, um, and I know it does because I've been through the rave culture myself. Like I've, I've been through that thing of like, oh my God, what is this? That tribal thing that seems to happen. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So I wouldn't say no to it. But what I love is the magic that happens from instruments and people just sitting and basking in the, you know, the glory of frequency. Wood and strings and wood and strings and voices and choirs and yeah, all of that really excites me. But but potentially that's me keeping myself in that safe bubble of what I know. Maybe I'd go and do some huge thing, I don't know, some big digital thing, and that would blow my bubble to you. I don't know. So what should like people who listen to this? What should they do next? Now that they've just yeah. heard you, what would you recommend that they next go and do? Is it to listen to some of your music? Is it to go and check out some of the stuff you've been reading? Well, you know, what's the, my next step? I think read. Do you know I mean like listen to my music? But my music is only my journey of me. It's the journey of me. Sure. So um, nice to listen to the songs because the songs are nice. Uh, but that's the journey of me. I think, yeah, the big thing that I would say is get on your journey. Like, you know, the intuition is so powerful. That little voice uh, is a bit that we all have to listen to. It's really, really important. That's heart-based living. So, yeah, just seeing where you can make a difference in your own life. And, uh, and then, yeah, getting into the journey, that thing of how can I change things? Like, each of us is in charge of our virtual reality. So each of us is in charge of what's going on in our world, how we're viewing things, where we're living, which way we're going. Are we walking in the sunshine? Are we walking in the shade? You know, so like just messing it up a bit and just going, how do I get up every day and choose a better choice? How do I change the patterns? How do I work with the crazy algorithms that are going on that I just repeat my patterns? And then reading. Yeah, oh my goodness, reading. There's so many incredible books out there. So I I listen to audiobooks Uh because I can listen to two or three a week. And uh, I can't read that fast and I don't have the time to read, but I often have, you know, an ear. And there's just so many people, amazing people out there making incredible giant leaps of discovery for our world. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you just start with one, put their name in, another 10 come up. So I'd say start with Greg Braden. He's pretty incredible biologist who uh, realized that, uh, or Bruce Lipton, who realized that cellular structures are really affected by the environment that you put them in, just like we are affected. Do you know I mean like, like that's how people are healing themselves of cancer um, in amazing ways. So yeah, I'd say just start, start, put, uh, 
Bruce Lipton into Google and start your conscious journey and then come to more one, one of my gigs and tell me about what you've learned. Don't you want to hear what everyone else learns? Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's the magic of Kirsty Almeida and that's the MTF podcast. Hope you enjoyed and if you did, please make sure you tell someone about it so that they can enjoy it too. Now, Kirsty's got a brand new album called Moonbird coming out in the new year, and she's also got a brand new song on Bandcamp, which is her first release since becoming a mother. It's called You'll Find Your Way, and I can totally recommend it. If you've got a second or two, literally a second or two, please leave us a quick review on your podcast platform of choice, maybe a handful of stars, five's always a good number. Share it on Facebook or Twitter so that other people can discover it as well, and we'll talk soon. Have a great week. Cheers. Thank you.